before we get started with this episode of The Watch, I just wanted to mention that The Ringer, the website I work for, it now has merch. So go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch where you can find shirts and hoodies. A portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go now to bitly.com slash ringer merch and cop the hottest fits. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, his feet wrapped in saran wrap, covered in Crisco, it's Andy Greenwald! That's just how I get down. Yeah. It's summer. What's going on? You know? <laughs> it is summer. Nothing makes summer <laughs> feel uh, nicer in the heat dome than a little bit of Crisco. What's going on, Greenwald? We got the uh, you. So you're just telling me right before we started recording. You guys, you guys have a heat dome too, huh? Yeah, it's a little warm here. Also, there's uh, I think like the hills of Los Angeles are on fire. That's like a that's like a, a weekend song come to life, right? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that what he's always singing about? Yeah. But it's like a metaphor for my man. But now it's real for you guys. I have a quick question as a future uh, Los Angeles resident. Sure. Is it still on fire? No, it's it's cleared up. I mean, I think it's perpetually about to be on fire. I think That's if you, cool. like, look at the ground wrong, it can, like, burst into flames. Chris, like, if you look at the arc of existence on this planet, we're always about to be on fire. Yes. Like, if you pull back, <laughs> I know. you know, I also love being enough. in, like, Ubers or, or cabs or something. You're talking to a guy who's, like, maybe lived here for a lot longer than you have. Somebody's like, well, I grew up here. And you're like, oh, has it always been this hot? Which is a classic cab conversation. And mm. they just go, mm. no. How about the dude? <laughs> did I tell you about the dude? I had a great great guy who was driving me to the airport after one of our thrones tapings and he had a lot a lot of thoughts on proof that aliens jump-started evolution and that um you know that that, that all religions are lies but he also was like he, he grew up he basically moved to la when he was like eight and he's in his 60s now and, and he was basically like well we're, we're definitely due for an enormous earthquake and i was like oh yeah yeah is that true he's like he's like oh yeah definitely he's like this- 20 25 years he's like there's no question did this guy like, look cool. suspiciously like Christian Slater? <laughs> he did. He did. I was like, tell me more things that I can report back to my wife exactly as you said them when I got home. He says Very cool. that as long as I'm silencing the screaming in my head, I'm not yeah. living truthfully. Is that weird? <laughs> did, just one more thing about everything being on fire. To, 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 to make it stop being on fire, did they have to use all the water that was left? Yeah. Or it. are we cool with no, that? No, it's just like high schoolers spitting on it. <laughs> um, that's, that's, I'm really psyched, let me just say. I just feel like I'm making a lot of good choices. Andy, we are here. It's Monday. We're going to talk a little bit of Night Of, Episode 3, and Stranger Things, Episode 3. We're kind of parsing, parsing it out a little bit. Um, we are also... I, I want to do package lots. I want to do... Because we talked Stranger Things like one and two yes. last week. Yes. We can do, just to give people some spoiler warnings, we didn't really do any spoilers last week, although we talked about one and two. I'm, I'm up to three, four, and five. Good. So we're going to do like package lot two of Stranger Things. Yes. So we might spoil those episodes. And then next week we'll do six, seven, eight. Okay. And if, that's, then, if that's cool with everyone, that's is cool, that cool? It's cool with me. It's cool with Matt Damon. It's cool with everybody else. We will be doing a re-up this week that will be about previous Bourne films, which so you can imagine me and Andy's excitement. We'll be talking about the entire franchise. And then next Monday, we will talk about Jason Bourne after people have had a chance to see it. And have you seen it? Have you seen it yet? I've seen it. Have you seen it? I'm seeing it tonight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then Andy, do you have an announcement, right? Yes, I'm on fire now. (laughs) I just looked down and the Crisco somehow ignited due to the heat dome. So I'll fit right in out there. Uh, no, I just wanted to say that I am very excited. I'm doing this uh, panel at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. But I sound like, isn't that like every comedian in the 80s? Feel like, I'm doing the JFL Fest. I, ha, ha, I, I am looking at the clock and we are officially entering the most boring uh, Marin WTF intro of all time right now. We've I know, talked about the weather and your much. comedy appearances. We did talk about the, the vegetable shortening slathered over my lower extremities. I thought that was kind of hot. That's good. Um, no, I, I'm doing a panel for Master of None, the Netflix show, which was such an amazing uh, surprise last year. And with Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang and Noel Wells and Kelvin Yu. And it's at this thing in Montreal. And I'm very excited to go to Montreal because I want to eat a lot of delicious food there. So if anyone who listens to this podcast is in any way associated with the Joe Beef episode of Chef's Night Out on Vice's Munchies, just 
just at me. Uh, me because I need you to show me your truth. And a little bit or of just come to the festival. personal news, I will be hosting the West Ontario panel <laughs> for Happy Valley. Um, we are going but to wait, I thought I thought you were doing the official after show of my panel. <laughs> did, did, did that not go through? Wrong, Chris. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, we are going to talk a little bit about trailers first, though, Andy, because before we get into the shows, we just wanted to chat a little bit about um, all the trailers that kind of came out in a in a wave uh, uh, of of promotional content that came out of San Diego Comic Con, a, a place that you have a love hate relationship with. I'm kind of agnostic <laughs> well, we, about it. We went we went uh, we went together. I feel uh, like two years ago. I feel like I wasn't really there, and I don't mean that in the no. Kate Blanchett I'm not there way. I just mean it in the like it's just kind of a blur. I feel like like well, we took a train down. It was we a took lovely, a train down from the Grand Chloe, Line office. The, the Chloe Grace Moretz was on that train. Ronald Moore oh, yeah. from and, Battlestar Galactica was on that train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and from Outlander. And I remember we threw back a couple a uh, couple of San Diego's micro brews at a Cinemax party, and then we had a burrito. And I think you went and you left. I think I just went back <laughs> to the hotel room and watched TV. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think you actually then you went back and you put on your Arrow cosplay costume <laughs> and I just didn't recognize you for the rest of the weekend. I did. But and I, was, here's, I just here's had cool Whedon say, banter I, all week. I didn't miss. I don't miss going to San Diego Comic Con, but I was struck how just completely and totally professionalized it was this year to the degree where I couldn't really understand the point of being there unless you wanted to see Tilda Swinton in person, which by the way is a worthy life goal, but. In years past, at least there was, I, I don't, this sounds like I'm a thousand years old, but it did seem like there may have been some reason to be there or you would see footage that you would never see anywhere else. But, you know, this is all so, um, it's just, it's regular now. So that everything that people were seeing, that waited, that everything people queued up to see seemed to be on YouTube within, within hours of it debuting there. Was that your vibe too? Yeah. And I, I think also there's, there's that tension that's there between the servicing of the hardcore fans of that of of comic book movies of superhero movies of sci-fi movies there's the the tension between servicing those people and then oversaturating the market a little bit and this is something i wrote about on the on the site today on the ringer where i was just kind of like i'm not really sure i am understanding the idea behind movie trailers anymore and that kind of came out of watching the doctor strange Mm -hmm. the skull island the justice league trailers all of which i thought had like cool moments in them and made me generally through them right what's that and we'll go through yeah we're We're about to go through them them. but i think in general we're at a point now where the doctor strange trailer that just came out is not it has a lot more of the movie in the trailer now than it did when they put out a teaser a couple of months ago. But I'm not really sure what it told us about the movie except for everything. And I'm not really sure why you need to see Doctor Strange if all the coolest shit is in the trailer. I think, well, first of all, I'm just going to stop you right there. I learned that Rachel McAdams is playing the girl. There was no way of knowing that she was playing well, Cara the girl. Well, Bono in this was movie. busy, man. Like, God, that's the thing. Bono was just like, enough. <laughs> enough. I'm taking a stand. I listened to the watch. I can't, I can't handle it. Um, no, I, I thought you, first of all, good job by you. I liked your piece Thanks, a lot. Um, I always love, love a good job by you from you. It makes me, it makes me feel like I'm really it, on the right track professionally. It makes you get up in the morning, don your amateur firefighter hat, <laughs> grab the bucket full of gravel. <laughs> just head up to the hills. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think you're right. I think that this is a very, very, very cynical time. I think the studios are extremely cynical about the diehard fans and about quote unquote nerd culture. I think they're very, very cynical about piecing out the content and stringing people along. And I think the, 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 the possibilities of surprising anyone on either end are very, very small. And I think that's, that's a shame because that's really still, you know, surprise is one of the reasons we still engage with the movies and it's very, but it's very hard to control or monetize surprise. And so, especially in the oversaturated culture we have. So we have things like, you know, we talked about this on a pod a couple of months ago, there was the news breaking about rogue one reshoots. Yeah. And then it's so scheduled now that Disney and Lucasfilm steered into the skid, made the reshoots a story that they would own 
you know, in basically either they're leaking themselves or they're inviting journalists to cover the reshoots and explain them away. Um, Warner Brothers invited, basically had a Justice League junket to prove that they were going to make a funnier movie. Yes. I mean, this is there. It's I, I, it, this is beyond making the sausage. I mean, this is this is this is on a granular level of sausagery right now, and it's it's kind of a bummer. I get it on a certain level. Let's start by talking about the Justice League trailer because I feel like that's that's a really. That's a good, as good a place as any to illustrate what we're talking about. And, and the fact that it wasn't a trailer, right? right. They were it's just a, like, it's here's the six scenes that something. we have finished. Yeah, right. And this is directed by Zack Snyder, so he's got a lot of work to do um, just from the start, <laughs> right? Um, he's got a <laughs> yeah. lot to overcome. But the, the rap coming out of Batman versus Superman was that this is a miserable, dark, oppressive, nihilistic, destructive piece of pop culture. And it's, you know, not it's bloated. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. You're ruining these great characters that people have have, uh, almost more than half a century of of an investment in. What's wrong with you? And to me, the sizzle reel is like, cool, we'll make Oceans 14. Mm -hmm. And they got some relatively two very charming people in this movie. And they took basically all the like the restrictor plates off the charm and they were like yeah go ahead just just banter with each other so you have gal sure. gadot and ben affleck in and they're like making the like they're basically playing clooney and pitt you know do we need one more i think we need one more you know and then you have ezra miller it, it, who's just doing is she is she eating a lot of sandwiches or no i wish because <laughs> um, if no i'm out i wish she was just like crushing nachos at a circus um that's not a metaphor uh, and then you have Ezra Miller, who's incredibly charming. I mean, I, I just think that they clearly led with the, you already know there can be a dark cloud of destruction hovering over this film, so we're going to show you all the people looking pretty, being funny. That's smart, yes. but I would have rather had the sensation of seeing that play out in real time with all of the context and all of the narrative beats around these scenes. And now I feel like when I see these scenes in the movie theater, I'm going to be like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I'm not going to see these scenes in the movie theater. But <laughs> to be clear, I, I, this is in this case, I think it is reasonable damage control. And I would say that from an artistic and just like a fiduciary standpoint, because they can't afford to fuck this up. You know, they've they've committed like basically 40 percent, 50 percent of their movie slate for the next nine years or whatever to these movies. And they have to broaden them. They have to make them more appealing or else they're just really, really sunk. Um, I thought Affleck seemed particularly charming in these clips, which was fine. But I do think the central what is, what problem What does he have to here, say to Jason Momoa where he's like, I hear of a, I hear of a man who comes in on the, the high tide. He's like, I hear, I hear you talk to fish or something. <laughs> like, that's cool. I, I hear you. I hear you. Z tuna, big man. Yeah, not, not, a, not a metaphor. I think the thing is... It's a Zack Snyder problem, and you cannot edit or banter away the Zack Snyder problem. Because when these movies were announced and we started to see the images from them, even though I am, and I, this is, everything is coming through this filter of a, I'm a Marvel fanboy. I like Marvel comics. I never really liked DC comics that much. But the thing that Marvel knows so well and does so well is that they know their characters and they love their characters. And the central thing about Marvel characters is that they are flawed humans who through a variety of means like gamma ray bomb mutation, whatever are raised to godlike status and then have to deal with that. The DC comic book heroes are gods basically who walk among men. So they're coming at it from different angles. So when we saw those images, I thought, even though this might not be my cup of tea, um, it's not a. It, it's a pretty smart play to differentiate themselves and make a different style of movie and treat superheroes in a different way. The problem is you have Zack Snyder doing it, who is just the most blundering, unsubtle, unclever, unintellectual director I can possibly imagine. So he bludgeons you to death with it. And then when you ask him to do something that I think he's fundamentally incapable of doing, which is sort of being light or clever, you have Marvel light. And you're stuck in no man's land between them. And that was the vibe I got from this. And I think, I think that, that's a little worrisome, but in as much as it's worth worrying at all about the, you know, the, the financial outlay of Warner Brothers' next 10 years. I, I definitely feel like somebody went up to Zack Snyder and was just like, do they have to care about justice? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if they're just I mean, a group of guys and they love leagues? A league of their own. It, it, um, <laughs> a Justice League of their own would be very, very worthwhile. That, that would be dope. It's also just, 
it, it it's you know it it that is what it is i the the wonder woman thing i guess was potentially a little more interesting yes. um you know they they were they were really 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 trying with these movies the wonder woman trailer seems to have gotten a much warmer response what what was your take on it yeah i i think i saw a bunch of people saying this but i think the cool thing about wonder woman is it actually seems like they're letting it just be a wonder woman movie instead of being part of a universe i'm sure that there will be uh distractions like that but it seems just like it looks like they were like what if we made a really cool spy movie with wonder woman yeah or they just took a lesson a very good lesson from the I still think when you think about it, it's a pretty shocking success of, of the Captain America franchise, which went from being, how are they going to make this a cool movie to the it's central, the, yeah, most right. important character right. in that whole universe. And so, you know, they, they're doing the similar thing that the first Captain America movie did, which is doing basically telling a period movie um, and the sort of allowing the filmmakers, in this case, Patty Jenkins, to play with a whole different storytelling palette and color palette and style palette, which is not a bad idea. And she seems good. Um, gal. And, you know, I think this is sort of the part that Chris Pine was born to play. Um, and the Washing movie was written by... Washing up on a beach by, guy? You know, just like sort of square-jawed, you know, uh, anachronistic fighter pilot hero. I mean, that's basically what, what he does in Star Trek, too. And he's, he's perfectly charming in that. But and it, and it, I think it, Jeff Johns, who is a, a guy who loves the character, who is one of the top people in, in DC Comics, wrote the movie with, with an old friend of mine, Alan Heinberg, who deeply loves the character. And so that was sort of exciting to see. I didn't even realize, I didn't know he was involved in it until it was announced like two weeks ago. But, you know, what's the ceiling for this movie? And does there need to be one? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I guess the ceiling is like 2001 Space Odyssey. You gotta, you gotta dream big. <laughs> okay, that's the ceiling <laughs> for every movie. Yeah. Because, I, I, because here's what I'm trying to wonder. Here's what I'm wondering. Is my reaction to this, my reaction to this trailer was like, well, okay. But is this, and we're not keeping it 1600, we're not going to put a political spin on everything on this podcast, at least not until um, October. But I wonder if I was like having a little bit of a Hillary Clinton problem with this movie, where I'm like, eh, could be better in so many ways. Whereas the fact that this is actually going to be the first major superhero movie in this superhero boom with a female lead, with a female director, that's not a small thing. And that even though the like, the even though the the trailer feminist feminism jokes were kind of dad jokes mm -hmm. it's still kind of a thing that that is noteworthy and maybe i shouldn't just um just brush past that okay well let's move on to the last one I, we, well, I, I think i think buono would have been better though can i say that <laughs> yeah. I, I think, think buono should have played dr strange buono. man like i'm serious i would have been psyched but, about wait, that what did you think before we go to the other trailers everything is now like a parry everything is 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 you know they're they're basically throwing punches here so marvel is like okay you're making that movie well guess what we have the reigning oscar winner as captain marvel coming in 2019 the queen brie yeah brie, be, brie larson's you know, just sitting heavy in the multiplex because she's also got skull island um do what do i think i don't really know anything about captain marvel man i was going to come up with something but I, I i got nothing for that i think it's great captain marvel what marvel I, I, I has love done brie larson last... i love brie larson i love brie larson Here's the thing about Brie Larson. Brie Larson looking out the window of the helicopter with a wow, look at this smile on her face is like some of the best acting of 2016. And then she the, can basically do anything. And then King and Kong throws that anything. helicopter across the jungle. I mean, it's, 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 it's a short-lived moment of joy for her. She's also in the, in the helicopter moment, with but she's, Hiddleston. I, I, I don't know how she's able to be like, I am really buying this, even though this is an origin movie about King fucking Kong. You know, <laughs> know. that's amazing. But Captain Marvel, of all the things Marvel has done in the last five, ten years, the resurrection and celebration and just, you know, foregrounding of this character is one of the best ones. It's a very cool character. She is a fighter pilot who gets alien powers and basically can fly through space and punch aliens. Yes. And is one of the most prominent characters in that whole, in the whole Marvel universe now, basically. They're doing this big storyline now, Civil War II, where it's not Iron Man versus Captain America, it's Iron Man versus Captain Marvel. So... That seems cool to me. I mean, it seems fun. And with an actor like that in it, it, it should be good. But well, again, what is all this? But what's the ceiling? Is it 2001 again? No, I don't know. Because the thing is, is that it's, it's interesting. To, what, is, what is also very fascinating about, among some of these, because these companies get so 
invested. They're they're in so deep with these commitments to ten year movie plans that they've made. And you see yeah. this with like this insane bit with Universal doing their Universal universe of mar- like monsters with like the Mummy and mm-hmm. Frankenstein and shit. That's so stupid. But they're going to make those movies for like <laughs> ten years, or they'll go out of business. And the the same thing is the case for Skull Island, which is this. Okay, we're going to just have a nearly supernatural monster franchise with King Kong and Godzilla and I guarantee you that Godzilla will fight King Kong in the next five years and Shailene Woodley will be like oh no in that trailer you know <laughs> and I think it's cool it's it's actually very interesting to see them double down on what a movie that has had was they had very high expectations in Godzilla I think people felt like it underperformed but in fact performed quite well and then has since been sort of secretly critically reappraised i think i've seen a lot of people be like on the low godzilla is like a is an art film you know is that the dude that's the dude who did rogue one right yes i mean he knows how to shoot stuff so it's definitely i mean it's gonna be he didn't he didn't direct skull island but i'm just saying they're using godzilla as a template the dude who directed Skull Island is a veteran of directing episodes of You're the Worst on FXX. Who is uh, it? Jordan Vote Roberts, which is kind of an interesting call. Um, and I'm very curious to see how it turned out. I mean, I, I, I have zero expectations for that movie, except that it has an interesting cast. And, you know, John Goodman is in it, too, and, and Samuel L. Jackson. But the trailer, I was talking about surprise. I mean, I was surprised that the trailer kind of made it look like they were going for a war movie. Right. Um that's that's interesting it was visually more interesting than i thought i i cannot tell you how little i care about king kong i don't know if anyone cares about king kong anymore like what what does that even mean anymore you know it's the same thing where it's just like what was the other like headline from coming out of this weekend was uh uh max landis is writing a pepe Le Pew movie yeah it's like great great i think king kong kind of belongs in the 90s era of jurassic park where there was that jump after terminator 2 in special effects I feel like there was a decided right. jump there, and that's where you get Jurassic. I'm I'm hope I'm right in the chronology there because otherwise I sound like an idiot. But it's like Terminator Two, and then it's Jurassic, and then you have like Matrix, and there are these a couple of films that really push special effects forward. And King Kong makes sense in the holy shit we can do this now era. But now that we can yeah. do this now, I don't really know that anybody cares about the actual story. It's the same thing with the first time the the world gets destroyed in Armageddon. You were like. Mm-hmm. Damn. But now it's like, okay, you guys are just using this as a crutch for the fact that you need to raise the stakes. So whatever. I mean, I think I, it, I think it looks cool. I think the idea of making a, a, a blockbuster monster movie that uses Apocalypse Now as a visual template is dope. But And I like a lot of the people in there. Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, and John Goodman. I'll see it, but I don't care about King Kong either. Uh, do you want to talk quickly about Doctor Strange, or are we, are we running? Yeah. Um, just... So- Can I do do Doctor Strange first? Can I just say what I have to say? Please, the doctor is in. We still fucking call out biters on the watch. And you need to cut Nolan his check. That's what I'm saying. Tate gives me the fist up. That's right, man. Don't take his buildings and flip them upside down and act like Christopher Nolan didn't do that. (laughs) Are you crazy, Marvel? (laughs) Spend your money wisely. Try to figure out something else to do with the buildings. Don't try to be like, let's take this cool scene from Inception and bite it. And take it and just put Cumberbatch in there instead of Leo and act like we don't know. What, what if I were to tell you that one of the Sorcerer Supreme's powers is to travel through worlds and multiverses and he's actually walked onto the set of Inception? And Ellen Page is like, is this like a job placement? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, I just, made, I just gave you a vision of something that would be an actual surprise. <laughs> it would be really cool. But is definitely not the case. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like... It, it, the movie looks fun. I mean, that's the thing. That's the fallback that Marvel has, where they hire these people, and they're like, have fun. You know, they were talking about Thor Ragnarok, and they're like, well, it's a buddy comedy with the Hulk and Thor traveling through dimensions with Tessa Thompson. I'm like, take my money. Sure. Why not? You know, it's like, I, I don't... They, they've, they've gotten so good at a formula that that formula... We were talking about the ceiling for these movies. At the moment, the floor for Marvel movies is, that was a nice time in the movie theater. Yes. You know, like the Ant-Man corollary. Like, that proved it. That they they haven't really dipped below a certain level in a number of years. And and not to get... And this is me talking... I guess I was started that point from an artistic point of view, but I'm back talking from the fiduciary point of view because it's like, that's a fine investment. 
Classic Greenwald. You know, it, always talking, always talking numbers with you. That that's who I am these days. But you know, it's a good cast, and I do want to say, the joke in the Doctor Strange trailer is a better joke than any of the jokes in the Justice League trailer. What's the joke? You know, it's the same kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, come on, joke. But it's it's a better one, and there's still something. For, for as much as I am jaded on Comic-Con, as much as all this stuff is jaded, the pictures of the Black Panther cast and crew just, like, just, just, just mugging in front of cameras and having fun and being like, we are going to tell the story and we're going to play in this world and, you know, and we're going to reference Roxane Gay and ta Coates in the making of this. Like, okay, sure. Because the whole point of this is that if you can look at this two ways, if you're making movies in this era, you can either be like this is this is an era of garbage biting and and recycling or you could say well this is the world we're in so we have to learn how to do tricks and have fun in this world and there have been movies that have been able to embrace that um and succeed so i guess i appreciate that and kugler proved he could do that with a franchise it's basically the new studio system and that's fine it's like this is where people make their money and 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 do their stuff and if you're creative if you if you can be the howard hawks inside of this and do really interesting emotionally of provocative visually compelling smart clever stuff then all the power to you i mean i think you know i I don't want to get into a like could somebody make a rio bravo for comic movies i'm sure somebody could suggest that that they have already but i i hope that that happens i hope that if we're gonna have to watch these the same stories of the same sort of origin story uh you know challenge darkest before dawn Mm -hmm. you know all this the same beats that we have to watch over and over again then maybe i like let's make it as good as possible that's fine yeah that's fine and and that all of that being said i think the best special effects in the best best looking sequel to come out of this weekend was the 10 second train spotting 2 trailer yes this morning yes this is going to be something we're going to talk about this is something we are very personally invested in (laughs) care deeply about and Uh, you know here's the special effect they waited 20 years to make a sequel and it's about how they look and how they are different and it's 20 years yeah and i'm I'm, i can't i can't wait i have a really good feeling about this movie i don't know why i just really do though i think it's because of of, it's uh, because of spud's hat it helps. All right, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back and talk Night of and Stranger Things. You guys, I just want to take a quick moment to talk about Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better and are better for you, so it's important to know where your food comes from. I have been using Blue Apron for almost as long as... I feel like almost as long as I've been in California, a couple years now. I love Blue Apron. Um, it is actually awoken my cooking gene that I never knew I had. It's it's a great thing. Me and my wife do it all the time. We get our ingredients shipped to us from Blue Apron, and we make these delightful meals. Every day is different. It's like going to a new restaurant every night, except you never have to leave your house. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients you make incredible meals so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers family-run farms fisheries and ranchers whether it's japanese ramen noodles wild-caught alaskan salmon or heirloom tomatoes blue apron is bringing you the best available in july these are some great meals i'm i'm salivating looking at these tate spinach and basil pesto gnocchi with summer squash green beans and fresh mozzarella spiced pork tacos with avocado pickled onion and a lote style corn or summer vegetable pizza with garlic lemon broccolini Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with shipping by going to blueapron.com slash the watch. That's B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash T-H-E-W-A-T-C-H. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash the watch. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I also want to tell you a little bit about books. Now, look. I know that relationships can be complicated, and every once in a while, maybe more often than you would like, you're in a relationship and you screw it up. Something happens, you forget to do something, you say something you shouldn't have, and you need to fix things. Here's how you fix it. You send flowers from thebooks.com. No woman in her right mind would turn away a peace offering of Books flowers. Books flowers are grown at an eco-friendly farm on the side of a volcano. That's you versus the volcano. Seriously, a volcano. Blooms are larger. The colors are more vibrant. There's something about the soil and sun at a lofty 10,000 feet that just makes everything pop. 
Yes, gorgeous flowers from thebooks.com, hand-delivered to your girl that say, we're still good, right? And apologies don't cost much at thebooks.com because books prices start at a mere 40 bucks. Don't be a cheapskate. You can get that. There are no upcharges, no extra fees, and even delivery is absolutely free when you register with the books. Listeners to our show save an extra 20%. So there's really no excuse. You can get the bouquet of your choice, 20% off. Just go to books.com and enter promo code BSPN. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code BSPN. Books.com, promo code BSPN. Uh, okay, man. So when this show started, I think that there was some talk about how this could possibly mm-hmm. capture some of the serial making a murderer fascination with the criminal justice system. Um, and I yeah, do pe- agree that that has something to do with what I think it. is, I think you could call Night of a success. I don't know if it's a sensation, but I think it's definitely, it's definitely like got people talking. People are, people are into it. Um, the criticisms that have been leveled at Making a Murderer and Serial, and they're completely different projects, and that they had completely different intentions in a lot of ways, so I don't mean to do a blanket kind of comparison here. But I think that you could make the, the case that there was a distancing, or it was a kind of like, this is a very, what a curious thing that this is happening. Like, let's look at this. I think that that had something to do with, when it came to Serial, it was something, it had something to do with the NPR-ish vibes of it. I was like, hmm. This, this crime that was committed, let me look at this from, from mm-hmm. the benefit of hindsight. And with Making yes. a Murderer, I think it was simply the platform and the way that people consumed it so fast and became so obsessed with it that gave it the vibe of this feels, this feels gross in a way to find such deep entertainment from such a deep, dark tragedy. Um, right. And I think that the reason why I find Night Of so incredibly rewarding is that every moment where you could take a step back and every moment where they could have just been like, it's about, I mean, somebody asked us last week on Facebook, like, do we think Nas did it? It's like, it doesn't matter. That is not what this show is about. And it might Mm -hmm. become what this show is about, but this show is about showing how dehumanizing every single step of this process is. And in that showing of those dehumanization Almost every single character in this show becomes one of the most like fully realized human beings you will see on television. Yeah, in, in a matter of sometimes in a matter of seconds. In terms the person of how who much interviews Nas on his way into prison, you know what yes. I mean? Like every inmate he seems to come into contact with, even if they seem initially like here's this like very Oz type dude who's going to stand there and you're not. He's just going to be a type. They are weird. They have weird impulses. They have moments of sensitivity and humanity and then they, th- those moments of sensitivity and humanity abandon them it's it's got it's this is what real beautiful true storytelling looks like to me i i agree with you i i'm still completely in on the show and i'm watching week to week i have not watched ahead and i the only reservation i have and i i actually it's not even fair to call it a reservation i i'm curious how this is going to be handled because it does still seem that we are set up for a number of episodes like this, but then a number of episodes that will involve some version of whodunit because there are, are other shoes still to drop. Clearly there were too many red herrings and red flags, you know, and lingering cameras on certain people on that first night. If you go back to the first episode and there's, there's, there are more things, there are more, there's more plot to drop, but I'm not in any hurry to get there because of exactly what you're talking about, which is just this grim, um, you know, almost like Greek myth, like Charon, like boat ride to the other side. And the thing about it that is so especially effective, um, first of all, obviously, yes, the performances across the board are great. The actors who play Nas's parents are especially good, I think, in very difficult roles. And there is something that is so horrifying about the show. And obviously, the first episode we talked about, it was scary and horrifying, like heart in your throat, because you just can't believe what's happening to him. And you want him to you want to yell, stop, stop or make a different choice. Um, that feeling of a vise closing is throughout the whole show. And you think about these characters who are his parents, you know, the complete incredulity of being forced into this system or that the system even exists, you know, which began last episode when his mom cooked something for him. Yeah, and it's uh, Porna Jaganathan, I believe. It's just amazing. Or the scene where she's being searched this week, which was just so invasive and her face registered oh, all yeah. of it. Oh, yeah, But this idea that, you know, these are immigrants to the country, now this is first generation. They pay their taxes. They're doing everything right. And all the money that they're paying in taxes, not all of it, but the money that you pay in taxes goes to these systems. 
to prop up the, the you know, with good reason, the, potentially the cops, the justice system, um, prisons, the, the, the CEOs, everything. Um, and yet as soon as their son is absorbed into the system, there is no money to pay for him to s- safely navigate it. You know, you, the fact that the, that the, the, the cab has been impounded, that detail, and this is very accurate, you know, for people who don't live in New York and understand how cabs work, the medallion that allows you to be yeah. a yellow cab is incredibly expensive, like six figures. So, And who knows cons- what underground well economies drive the purchasing of that, you know? Right. And it, you're doing very well if you're able to purchase your own, even with the help of three other people who you share it with, like we've seen in this in the show so far. So the fact that their livelihood is just immediately taken away in addition to their son is just this crushing detail, but I think very accurate and really adds to the storytelling. Um, this was also the episode where I went all in on Turturro. Uh, it's really, really remarkable performance that he just is rock. He is so consistent in this performance that he's playing the same guy when he's like feeding the cat versus when he's um, bantering with the DA versus when he's, when he himself is crushed when Nas is like, you're not my lawyer anymore. You know, when he came in, he's all bluster and shtick and you're like, he's doing a New York shtick, yeah. but he's actually giving this character life. My only complaint is I wish his name wasn't John Stone because <laughs> that's not a name. You know, that's like the default name on final draft. Like give, give him a name, you know? Yeah. I'm, what do you, so I, what do you think of the of the of the Rikers stuff? I mean, are you? It's hard to. It's it's to, weird. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Did you know the Lord Jamar from Brand Nubian was? Oh in yeah, that? and 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 Sticky Fingers from Onyx is in it too, right? I know that was that was that was pretty nice. Um, um, I, the fact that they walk him in, we walk in with him, and his bed is just in the middle of it. Yeah, that was that did my head in. I do want to say. You know, I had very little time for, um, you know, couch warriors in the first episode being like, oh, not you never do that. You never do that. Like when you when you wake up hungover next to a dead body. (laughs) But I will say. I thought Nas made an interesting choice to have a sort of taking stock. How did I get here? Reverie in the shower. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) Because he's just sitting there thinking about it, looking around. Everyone else leaves. And then he's just like this seems like a good place for a by myself meeting. Like, let's just really run a diagnostic on how we got here. I'm like, my dude, like you have your shoes, but you need to just get out of that room right now. That's my only advice. The reason I was really asking about the Rikers stuff, and this will kind of, this sort of dovetails with stranger things. And this is something that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. It's a, it's something that's running through a bunch of the best shows on television right now. Um, Is this slow erosion of, I think what we expect shows to do, right? Um, whether I don't, I don't know if Night of is at, Night of is going along at its own rhythm and in its own directions, and the same thing happens in Stranger Things. I think because there, it's not that it surprises, but it's the way that the, the the story is being told is not necessarily feel episodic. Or at the end of this episode, we have to keep watching because at like 24, Jack Bauer falls off a bridge and you're like, I got to see what happens to him, right? Mm-hmm. It's th- These are moments that are like, even if they're gripping, even if they're depressing, even if they're haunting, you're like, I have to keep watching because I, I've just become so immersed in all of this. And I think that the Rikers thing is really... This descent that this show is going through into these various layers of New York City through, and it's kind of like an underground New York City, right? It's the New York City that you don't see. It's the New York City of how people pay for cab medallions, like you're saying. It's the New York City of how people are held in prison when you, you they're just out on this barge and we don't see them in that long that drive there are, there are the still tr- people there are a lot of stories in the paper this year there there are a number of i think juveniles are close to it who have just been in rikers yeah like they still haven't even officially been arraigned on anything but they're in rikers yeah so i but do you see what i'm saying though about like do you feel that that slight difference from the way that it's almost like this explosion of streaming television this explosion of, of production has started to birth slightly different storytelling storytelling styles yeah and i think that's essential and i think that dovetails really well into our conversation about stranger things which is also taking advantage of the form in a in a slightly different way um you know the before this era of tv we couldn't have gotten a show like um people versus oj the the fx series not that we could probably couldn't have gotten the espn doc either but i specifically mean that show 
But one thing to think about that I never thought about when I was 16 or 17 when that trial was happening, um, you don't think about the fact that while that trial is going on for a year and a half, OJ is in prison. Every day he is in prison. And what I mean, though, is the show, the FX show gave us a little, gave us some glimpses of that. You know, he was, he would make phone calls, they would visit him, they would play cards with him just to keep his spirits up or whatever. But because the ambition of the show was so much greater and the subject matter was so much um, broader, um, that wasn't the focus of it. But the night of can tell us that. The night of can say, oh, no, this is actually what happens minute to minute. It's not like there was a mistake. Now you'll have your day in court. Yeah. There are agonizing hours, days, weeks, months, even years. And false hopes. Yeah. 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 There are stories still to be told within the cracks of these very familiar um, setups, medical shows, law law shows, whatever. I was thinking about with episode three of Stranger Things. And I guess we should say at this point, if you are only on episode two, stop stop listening i think we'll probably talk about stranger things for the rest of the pod um if if stranger things was british if it was called like stranger things in it uh it would have ended at episode three yeah it was just yeah, like and that was fucked wasn't it <laughs> like and and that would that would have been it and in a lot of ways everything that happens after episode three ends I don't want to say this. You, 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 we, we, it goes up to five, but basically I think that you could look at this, and you're a parent. Like I, you probably could articulate this better than me, but in some ways the things that happen after episode three could, could be a fantasy of a parent or of, of a friend for not wanting to be able to deal with what happens in episode three. I think that's def- – you could definitely watch it that way. Um, it's not. I was go- I'm just saying that like – the cool the thing the thing that's great about sci-fi and about fantasy is that it's NERD. I mean no one ever really dies. You can this is why people like comic books is that you could kill a major character and just bring them back in 10 issues, you know? But I, I also think that the the thing that I really wanted to say about Stranger Things at least these middle episodes, and the thing that really truly impresses me, like it's just shocking. Um because I I think I would have believed it if someone had told me, "Oh, there's a pretty um you know, thematically accurate kind of note perfect 80s inspired thing i could i could see that sort of becoming popular becoming a thing that people responded to but there's no way i would have predicted the 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 ability the pacing you know just the things like real real sort of tv making talent that these these brothers have because the the whole thing they've just considered when to drop certain things when to pick up certain plots when to drop them when to thread them how to thread them um, you know, I think that I took a few issues with the level of Winona Ryder's, not her performance, but the characters, you know, that she's basically, her anguish is at 11 and everyone else isn't there. But, you know, this is the thing of commenting on episode two of a streaming series because they EQ'd the levels yeah. because everyone else has to come up to where she is. They broke out the Christmas um, lights. <laughs> but yeah. And like the, but to your point, the show was respectful of what it would mean to have this kid wash up dead you know the reaction of the kids was really painful and and heartbreaking and yeah they do the full bad news relay that british crime shows do like but usually the end of every first episode of a british mystery is this family discovering that their child is dead exactly and it's it's just unbelievable and awful to watch but this show was respectful of that and the emotions of that they didn't it didn't cheapen it by making them seem like fools or having the audience be too far ahead of them but it also allowed it to sort of exist in the same deeply felt, but also not, not entertaining emotional world that the show lives in. You know what I mean? So that when, when Hopper discovers the truth about the body an episode later, we're ready for it. Yeah. We are along for the yeah. ride. And, and that, that is Spielbergian, to have the audience appreciating the pace of the feed tube you know what i mean like we're we're, we're being we're being fed at an appropriate rate to digest Spielberg knew this is not like show a the shark. situation this is, this is the this goes back to what we were talking about with trailers like he knew how much of the shark to show you when to show the shark when to show yeah. the full shark and i think that they do that well with this show it's the lesson that they learned from spielberg it's exactly what you're saying and it's not just lens flares and kindly seeming but very dangerous government officials it's that it's that pacing and it's the when to pull the innocence and when to push the tragedy and when to put the hope forward. And you're right. It's exactly right. Like when Hopper is and he shows up at the lake and he's just like, please mm-hmm. tell me that's not the kid. 
but his anguish is a little bit tempered by the fact that it's episode three and you know something else must be coming. Yep. Yeah, and and you know, I, I really I love those first two episodes. I'm just really, really impressed at the quality yeah. of the show going forward. I mean, the, the last five minutes of that episode with heroes playing is like, oh, you guys really knocked it out of the park. You just, it's amazing. You, but just little, like the performances across the board are yeah. so good. The, you know what else is actually really good here? The nonsense. And what I mean is the, the experiments and the mind control and the upside down and the... Oh, all the, the MK scene Ultra the stuff. Yeah. When the teacher explains, like, the acrobat and the flea, like, there are always scenes like that in these sorts of things. But I was like, okay, we are in a world that is obviously fantastical, and they're asking us to take leaps, but I'm happy making this leap. And also, you know, in, a, in a British show, the teacher is definitely the murderer. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's no question. With a mustache yeah. like that? Yeah. Come on. No like, question. But I, I don't know what you're talking about. I always have a, room, a dark room that's locked off to the side. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. But the, the fucking Zodiac killer. <laughs> this also strikes me as for as much as it is a nostalgia exercise and a period piece, this is an extremely modern show. They, it's one of the first shows that I can think of that has really and truly embraced the possibilities and the limitations of the Netflix model. Um, first and foremost, it is only eight episodes. Now, I've not seen all eight, but just knowing it is not 12 and 13 is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. It is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it enough. Is... It's actually like, I, uh, my wife is like, please, let's not watch the last one. I want to hold on to it. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, it, it feels like everyone's always talking about it. We said this, you know, with, with, with the way Sam Esmail is talking about Mr. Robot season two, you know, it's, it's an eight hour movie or whatever, but that's not exactly accurate to what this is. This is an episodic television show, the way it weaves its B plots and C plots and D plots, you know, the, where in the midst of, the defeat for the kids, they get the victory over the bully, um, the way uh, Winona Ryder's character, you know, has the the comeuppance with her ex-husband and the discovery of that weaved into the larger narrative. There's room for that. There's room for, and Harbour is just incredible. Yeah, man. Hopper, it's, it's really a career-changing performance um, when he has the scene where he calls his ex-wife. Um, even the way he talks about his deceased daughter in a fictional way when he's trying to get the truth from the guy who found the body yeah it's just incredibly powerful but but it, it's operating on all those levels it's operating on the the serialized level that tv does but it's unspooling one story in a way that is just so pitch perfect and i hope i really hope that that um you know netflix is incredibly um opaque about all of their business decisions i really hope that they are tracking what a success this is by all metrics because I couldn't help but think about. We I'm were going to talk I, about the. I mean, they, they we were going to talk about the Luke, the Luke Cage trailer, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was a very cool trailer and good use of ODB. And I think my culture is awesome, but you know, I didn't watch Daredevil season two yet, man. And like, as cool as that Luke Cage trailer was, the fact that there's going to be 13 hours of it. Did you watch Jessica Jones at all? I love Jessica Jones, but God, it took me a long time to get through it. And the thought of 13 more, it's it's a lot. And I wonder if they can start to get more creative with what they're doing or if their model really depends on, and the financials really depend on the, you know, the, basically the 12 or 13 episode thing making financial sense or they need to stock their library or whatever. Because it would be much cooler if somehow Netflix could adopt kind of more the British model where if they're doing these Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Defenders, fine, shoot 13 of them, but drop four as yeah. a mini season. And yeah. then make the next four season three. Make the next four season. Yeah, you know what sure I mean? lock it up, man. Drop, put, put, give me a Christmas episode. I'm home. I'm, so, I'm ready to watch so, something. Right. So if you need to film them all at once, Godspeed. Yeah, they did but, that with Vice Peas. They, they, they're, not, they're not putting out 20, 26 Vice Principals or 24 Vice Principals episodes. I mean, they could, but. It, but it, it, it's better. And it's, it, it, I just feel like it's, you never, the most precious thing that you can get as, a, as someone making TV is to, is to stumble into the creation of a world that people cannot wait to go back to. And that's what you, we're, your wife is talking about, Stranger Things. That's how I feel about it, too. I, it's really pleasurable to watch this show. Um, and I, you know, I felt the first two episodes of Jessica Jones or the first two episodes of Daredevil, I was like, okay, obviously very different shows, but I was all in on this world. I bought it. Well, I think that but the issue... You never want it to turn into a... You never want it to turn into, like, drudgery. You never this, want it to feel obligated. This is what goes back to the... I mean, you, we could have a whole other conversation about this, but the, the beats... The part of the reason why Stranger Things is so refreshing, even though it's basically a pastiche of other stuff, is that it's a pastiche of different stuff. And Jessica mm-hmm. Jones and Daredevil is a st- essentially still kill the final boss. 
and solve the case of the week in the process. Yeah, I think it's true. I, and I also think that, and I'm curious what you think about this, how, how you would phrase this. But because I, when I was watching it, the other thing that I felt really liberated from in a, in a very nice way was this curse of plausibility that has really oh, yeah. plagued yeah, yeah. contemporary entertainment where people immediately need to sort of, you know, basically pretend to have PhDs and be like, well, that would never that's happen. That's why it has it, to be that's... set in 1983. I mean, that's why they get to have cool Casio digital watches and walkie talkies for slight convenience. But it, you no nobody cares that you can't, you, there, you can't snopes this show, you know? Right. But that's, you know, in, Night of goes in the opposite direction and, and, and relishes the details. But a show like Mr. Robot that we love very much, by design, it's like this. You know, they know what they're inviting by setting it very much in the present. But by setting it very much in the present, you know, there's just so much. The conversation we had about the, the you know, the last week's episode, like, is this real? Is this not real? What's going on? Is this even plausible? What did they pull off? It's very nice to be freed from that. You know, they, they it's, I think it's also really crucial. This is one of those happy accidents. Because, you know, the original name of the show was Montauk, and they were going to, it was yeah, supposed to be set it, on the end right. of Long Island. Because it was supposed to be a Jaws tribute, right? Yeah, and also just, like, I agree with them. Like, there is nothing creepier than off-season beach places or summer places. But due to tax breaks or production, whatever, they had to film it in Georgia. And so they were like, we'll just make it anywheresville, America, and Indiana. Yeah. That really helps, too. You know, it feels like it, it, is, it, feels like it is set anywhere and everywhere all at once. And yes. so you're just in. That's, where, that's the way things work here. You yeah, know, they it, do a nice job also of establishing that there is a movie theater in this town, but that kids can also ride their bikes in the middle of the road and not get mowed down by 16-wheelers. I just also like that the conversation around this show, and maybe we're treating it with kid gloves because of the nostalgia factor, but I just like that we're, that nobody is blinking or pushing back against the fact, oh, well, they happen to have, you know, the magic, the magic girl is the same age as the boys and she happens to end up with them. And, you know, the, the, the things that are called storytelling, no yeah. one seems to be bothered <laughs> that by that. That would be dope you know? if the magic girl was in a different part of town and never met the boys. <laughs> How entertaining would well, that be? <laughs> it would be super entertaining. The show is called Frustrating Things. Yeah, and it was just like the kid wandering around in the forest being like, hello? <laughs> good show. She's really good too, man. What, what if she never meets the kids? Am I, am I wrong? <laughs> she just wanders around. That's incredible. Could she be 12? Could she be 12? I don't know why we're setting the bar so low here. Andy, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It is. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Great job, Beretsky. Hey, everybody. Before we go, just want to send a quick shout out to our sponsor, thebooks.com. Make sure your relationship is running smoothly. No hiccups. No headaches. Just send flowers from thebooks.com. I promise it'll make everything better. Books flowers are grown at an eco-friendly farm on the side of a volcano. Seriously, a volcano. The blooms are larger. The colors are more vibrant. Books prices start at just 40 bucks with no upcharges, no extra fees. Even delivery is absolutely free when you register with the Books. Save 20% at books.com with promo code BSPN.